0: If you're tuning in right now, you know that we have a local election happening right now. You can go vote right now. And uh, last week, Kevin and I sat down with the candidates from District 1 and District 3 separately. Uh, by that, I mean we sat down with each race separately, but with the candidates from that race. So, it's easy way to say this is, if you're listening, you're about to hear the District 3 candidates, Jesse, Diana, and Matt, And uh, on the next release, we'll have a conversation with Kevin, me, Gerard, and George from District 1. Uh, District 4 has been difficult to schedule, so if you are a District 4 candidate, pay attention. Please come on the show. It's fun. We're fun. We're nice. uh, And we care about democracy, and uh, we uh, think you should, too. So you can vote right now until April 29th at 7 p.m. That is your last hour that you can vote. Um, And of course, Election Day is coming up May 4th from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Check out VoteDenton.com for all your voting locations. It's easy, it's fun, and like I said, this is democracy. It's awesome. And uh, another way you can practice democracy is by subscribing to our podcast, Politically Denton. Check out PoliticallyDenton.com. Here you have it, a conversation with the District 3 candidates, Jesse Davis, Matt Farmer, and Diana Leggett.
1: I'm drifting again Aloft in the clouds Held
0: up on the wind My mind grows hazy I forget my pills Yeah, if you haven't opened your beer yet, you're I going I to It's time to do, <laughs> And I think that's I think that's really it for, okay. for ground rules.
2: Yeah, and this is, uh, as you'll see, kind of as we get started, it's it's it, it, we're going to take a break from the typical kind of candidate forum where we're like, yeah. it's your turn to talk for two minutes. It's your turn to talk for right. two minutes. It's it's just because you kind of have to do that when there's a large group of people to make sure everyone feels. And our goal, too, is to make sure everyone's chiming in. But we really, you'll even see it with some of the questions are designed to be a bit more conversational, reflectional, um, as opposed to, What's your stance? What's your stance? What's your stance? So, sure. um, if there's something you want to jump in on um, after somebody else does something, that's kind of the goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll all be kind of moderating this along with Glenn to just make sure no one's feeling like they can't get in an word and edge wise. But mm-hmm. uh, so feel free to be casual like that. Um, we're not live streaming this, so it's going to uh, be mixed for sound quality, not for editing out things mm-hmm. that you said or anything like that. But if you if you swears use, or no swears. Yeah, can, I mean if there is totally something at the end of this <laughs> that where that you're time. like, hey, I really screwed up when I said that. Can we we've done that before yeah. if somebody's but like, But if you email us
0: later nope.
1: Gotcha. I've I've heard, listened to politically dent a few times. Have you all done one with all the candidates in the same this room. Is before? This is the first. Last time nice. last year we
2: did it individually, which was great. Right. It was like it was a long form for each individual candidate. Uh, but we kind of thought changing it up a little bit would be kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. we
0: kind of wanted to add just add something that wasn't already being done. Mm-hmm. Like we, <laughs> I guess we started the let's host host a forum and a bar thing, and now they're all in bars. Yes, apparently. Did
3: you guys do Pauls or not Pauls? But the last two year's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you were awesome. Thank you. I sat you right you very next much. to you, I didn't. Re- I didn't know who you were. But Thanks. I thought the questions and the moderating was wonderful. I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, we were pretty we hard on trying to, like,
0: year. add. Well, so many people are doing it this year. Uh, it's like, uh, we're not done really I mean, it's, it. you guys have
2: done a lot of forums so far, haven't you? Six. Mm-hmm. Six. Well, so we have another bar one coming up. Didn't yeah. I? Yeah. We have,
4: a, we have another Robeson one. We have a bar one. That's that's it, right? What
1: a that's novel on idea. Saturday. If oh, you count think, the Chamber of Commerce one.
4: Really? Yeah. I think. We oh,
1: have yeah, have the Chamber of Commerce. That's like a... 26th? Yeah, and that... It's going to feeling that'll be more like the um
3: uh the, the oh the real estate
1: no the um um the one we did at the uh, barbecue place the kiwanis one oh yeah because it's, it's after kind of more, luncheon. Like say bigger. your thing and then mm-hmm. answer a couple
0: right. questions yeah. i will say when we first did ours in the bar the paper wouldn't cover it and we had yeah, everyone said it. Everyone said it was inappropriate to show up what? because it was inappropriate.
2: The paper said it was inappropriate. <laughs> That's not where. which is really important. Things we're talking about. You should do it in forums like city council chambers and.
4: No. You mentioned the founding
2: fathers, right? Uh, yeah, Surely. Right, the the F- F- yeah.
0: Fathers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We wrote the constitution. No, in
2: fact, there's one. I don't. I won't say pub. who it was. There was one particular entity that continues to do forums um, that really made a big point about it from a kind of a moral perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've huh. now done theirs at a, <laughs> at a bar now. So womp womp. Oh wow it's pretty womp. funny. Okay. Anyways, if there's it. anything we can say we've contributed to life, it's more bar forms. More drinking bar, at city council. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right. More drinking more too. Yeah. Um so
0: well yeah, here we are. Uh we're in the uh we are in the ready Rosie office once again. Kevin, thank you so much for letting us use your your space in beautiful downtown. <coughs> <laughs> you can't see it. Didn't can't see yeah we're, we're in a
2: different room we're usually we're in the, that corner room
0: we needed a bigger room this year because we have three of the uh, candidates for city council from district three with us today and uh I think uh, you're going to start it off with a tough question.
2: Tough question. You know, I, it's 9 <laughs> o'clock. For those of you guys, you're listening to this later. So it's 9 o'clock on Sunday night, April
0: 14th. Game of Thrones is on right Game now. Game of
2: Thrones is currently <laughs> happening. And so I told everyone that because it's an evening time, we have a wide variety of beverages to choose from. And so it's kind of an icebreaker question. Uh, what beverage did you choose and why? Starting with you, Jesse. I'm sipping on a
4: lovely Armadillo Ale Works Honey, Please, Mesquite blonde, mesquite Bean
2: Blonde. Uh, and I You didn't even that, know you'd have an opportunity to pander to a local... <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> that was the whole uh, Let's here. talk
4: tax reinvestment <laughs> zones. Let's start with brewery districts, um, and let's talk about uh, advocacy in our legislature for beer to go. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a nice nice blonde. It's light
2: for a seven, Sunday evening. It's a good sessionable absolutely. ale. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Dina Leggett,
3: what did you choose tonight? I chose water. Yes. And H2O is like really important to not just the community, but our bodies. you'll literally die without it. You That's will literally fact. die without mm-hmm. it. And if I had one sip of anything else, I would be face down.
2: <laughs> I totally in the gutter. get it. It's nine. It's late. You guys have been busy this weekend, no doubt. Matt Farmer, what did you yeah. choose?
1: Well, I came in here with a coffee from 7-Eleven because I'm classy, high class. Yeah. Third wave coffee. <laughs> But I am also drinking an armadillo. Is it called? So it's called Town Squared. Yeah. I guess this is a new one, Mm -hmm. which is is. partially why I chose this one, and also to calm myself down from the coffee. Um, But I also love Belgians, so it's a good fit. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for
2: sharing what is in your hands, Glenn. What do you have?
1: What are you drinking?
0: I'm I am sipping on uh, some Weller's bourbon neat as. A man should.
2: Well, I, I've, I guess I've got it with several ice cubes, as I guess a man shouldn't.
0: Not the way to do it.
2: But, um, well, thank you all for being here uh, with us uh, to chat about District 3. And what's interesting, I went to my first forum the other night the uh, League of Women's Voters Forum. It's the first one I had the chance to go to. I think I've caught some glimpses of some on Facebook. And your race in particular, I thought, here's three really fascinating people. I mean, Diana, you had talked about your son working for Google. And I thought that's fascinating to learn more about that and what was his path to get there. Uh, also, your work in uh, wildlife refuge, uh, 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 refuge, I'm saying. Rescue. Rescue, uh, which is excellent and very interesting. Uh, Matt, you're in, in the music scene uh, and a musician, um, and uh, you even had a, a brief run for state office mm-hmm. um, already, mm-hmm. um, and, which is very interesting. I thought, and, and wanting to chat more about it. Jesse, you are you work for the district attorney's office. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, you've also mentioned throughout the race that you are uh, a former, and I even kind of remember this from my time working at UNT, a former. Uh, UNT student body president, which Correct. is kind of fun to think about too, and, and, and kind of your pathway from that. So I sat there and thought, here's three fascinating people that in any other situation, I'd really want to sit down and say, tell me more about this fascinating aspect of you. But what's interesting is when we start running for office, um, these things that naturally draw us to each other as humans, we, we tend to start, I'm just talking about people who follow races and start to get involved in politics. All of a sudden it becomes very us versus them, Mm -hmm. and this person may be interesting, but I'm going to put them in this camp because of their beliefs on these certain things, or um, I'm going to really hold up this one person. And in some cases, people even say really nasty things. I'm sure you guys have heard it on all sides. Why is it that we get that way? Why is politics that way? And more particular, just in kind of our first question, and this isn't obviously a specific issue to the race, but is there anything you're seeing as it relates to local politics that's better in that regard than what we see clearly uh, on the national stage when we really get polarized about things. But I I, I tend to sense even locally, there's a polarization when we get into even city elections. Why is that the case? What do you guys think? How do we understand Mm,
1: that? Man. Um, Well, I I don't know. I think group... Yeah. Well, I was just going to say group mentality is just, that's a human thing that has happened for a long time. Um, And... You know, with this specific race, though, it's been nice. There hasn't been, from you know my perspective, I don't think there's been any dirty campaigning on any of our parts so far, and it's been really, really refreshing to see that. Because in the past, I know you guys both know that there have been council races um, in this city that have gotten really unreasonably dirty, and I think maybe one of the reasons why um, we're seeing less of that this year is because there has been. You know, every time that it has happened in the past, we've seen that it backfires. You know, and mm. I think that um, people people get tired of that um, from the sort of presidential campaigns and from the constant coverage of of those races. And I think that you know, um, at this point, people are, are ready to just see a different tone in a in in an election. You know, especially yeah. when it directly affects them, like city council does. Yeah,
2: sure. Um, Interesting. Donna, Jesse, you guys have any thoughts on that?
4: (coughs) So uh, this is something that worried me even before I got into the race. Um, Y'all know I was kind of a late entry to the field, and it's something that I've kind of made a a cornerstone of how we do business at my campaign. Um, What I've seen, unfortunately, at the local level, it's not just Denton. You know, it happens in a lot of places. That the national agenda from whatever party or interest group or whatever – they see that they can make whoever's pushing a particular agenda sees that they can make inroads in local elections and so they come down to places where you know in denton we've actually had a really strong tradition in years past of people from different political parties people from different age groups people from all different uh socio classes working together uh, for instance we've had folks who have been elected to city council who vote in different primaries than most everybody else in their district, it's happened. And um, unfortunately, I think that a lot of the national folks see that they're able to make um, make gains nationally with that rhetoric, with that invective, with you know, really demonizing the other side. And so folks have tried to use that at the local level um, You know, in our race, I have to say, in in talking to most folks, I think I agree with Matt, in talking to most people, they want to keep that out of Denton's races. That is not, you know, you'll find my signs in Democrat yards and Republican yards, um, in big houses and little houses. But I have to say, I've run into some folks, uh, even in this race, who um, they intend to vote along whatever lines they've drawn, Uh, whether it's party lines, whether it's, um, you know, Anything else like that, kind of along those lines, that's how they've made their decisions. Mm -hmm. And it's been really important to me to reach across those lines and talk to folks and and to make sure that my, like I said, my signs are in lots of different kinds of yards, talking to lots of different kinds of people. And I've really enjoyed that process, getting to talk to people that I've, I've never met before, that maybe we disagree on some things. But I find in that process, we agree on so much more when it comes down to local things. Even if, uh, you know, somebody else, if I'm talking to somebody on the campaign trail and they may vote differently than I do in national elections, we are on the same page on local issues, on what's important, on the things that city government should be involved in. So I I do see that, um, I think that there's hope for even our national conversation in the way we conduct ourselves in local elections and being able to get together around what's important in local elections, I think... I think that holds the key for really fixing what's broken about our national elections. Mm-hmm.
2: Diana?
3: So much to say. <laughs> so I agree with Jesse, and I don't at the same time. And uh, having never done one of these before, and honestly, not being a politician, you know, I'm just a normal person. First of all, I have to say the people of Denton that I talked to, and of course, I ran for county judge last year. Mm -hmm. 123,000 people thought I was a pretty good candidate. Uh, They care about the roads. They care about their kids getting to school safely. So when it comes to politics, they don't want the R or the D or the independent after our name. This is supposed to be completely nonpartisan. So for me, it was such a relief to step down from county politics which was incredibly rough, Mm. very rough, Uh, down to the local level because I could take whatever was after my name off. The people just care about getting taken care of. They care about how the city is growing, why it's growing, why we aren't doing certain things, why we are doing certain things. They don't even really care about the budget. They just don't want their taxes raised, Mm. and they're tired of their property taxes going up. Uh, they, They struggle. Our city, what, the average income is, what, like 48000 You know, this is a good, working, middle-class town and with a lot of love for what goes on in this city. So, you know, I agree with with some of what Jesse said, and just please forgive me as I say this because I stepped away from everything Democratic. I stepped down from the Ethics Committee. I stepped down from uh, two other committees that I was on, which included vetting new candidates to run for 2020. Because I'm, I have a lot of expertise in in uh, in doing that kind of work, and you were in a video. Why did you do that? You know, it's it's the the people want us to be pure and work for them. They don't want to know that there's a party line involved because everyone's tired of it, and there's no there's. I think the world of Jesse, I think the world of Matt, I think all of us have incredible things to bring to this table and I think the the people of Denton just want that best person who's going to listen and do. So, you know, as I said, I've stepped away from everything. I am completely true and open and transparent when it comes to what I'm doing.
2: Jesse, she invoked you. I want to say if you wanted I know, to yeah. I give any know. context to that. Yeah. Yeah, so What video are we talking about? So here's how it
4: goes down. Um, I am a a member of a political party. I think uh, both of my opponents are proud members of a political party. Uh, Matt has been endorsed by a Democrat group. And Diana, of course, ran for county judge uh, as a Democrat um, last November. So, you know, even though these are nonpartisan elections, uh, there's no hiding the fact that we all come to them with some background in party politics, the the key to these nonpartisan elections is not that you you know give up allegiance to uh, to your friends to the the things that you believe in, but that you're able to take that hat off when it's appropriate to do so. The video she's talking about is uh, promoting a fundraiser. That's an annual event the Denton County Republican Party holds every year. Uh, Paul Meltzer was at that event last year and had planned to be in attend- attendance this year. It's a big community deal. Um, not unusual. Uh, I think it's called uh, it's called Lincoln Reagan Day, and I think that different Democratic parties around the state call theirs either LBJ Day or LBJ Obama Day, depending on the county. So, um, did a promotional video for that, and I was not a candidate at the time, and um, that's that's really all there is to it. I appear in a promotional video asking people to buy tickets to a fundraising event. Um, you know. It's interesting that that comes up in this first question right out of the gate about how we're all getting together and how we can all express unity about the things we believe in in our town. Um, I I have to say that as we go around to the forums and as we talk with folks, um, I have heard from so many people on both sides that I talk to how they are ready to move past They don't care what party I belong to. They don't care what party Diana or Matt belongs to. But then when I talk to specifically Diana's supporters, uh, when I see the people who are promoting her on Facebook, they can't help themselves. They, They go right to, I can't vote for Jesse, not because of his positions, not because of his qualifications, but because he's in a different political party than I am. And that's not most people. But um, I haven't heard from one of my supporters or one of my Facebook people or any of that that have said, I can't vote for your opponents in this nonpartisan race because of the political party. It just it just hasn't come up. So I'm I'm a little disappointed that we've taken this turn in the very first question in a kind of congenial setting.
3: That wasn't the point. That wasn't the point. The point was that we're, we're, we're supposed to be... Get a non- up a little closer to the mic. Sorry. Sorry. It's, it's, it's We're supposed to be nonpartisan. And we're supposed to hear all voices. And so that was not, that was not an arrow uh, at all. It was me saying I stepped away from everything so that I could be just for the people. There's nothing after my name right now.
2: So the, the, your district's very interesting in this regard. Because I was part, I heard some conversation about redistricting uh, during that last forum too. I was actually that was my first meeting on council was when we started that process, and we could talk later about how that process went, which was interesting and fascinating. But that was that was the time in which Ropes and Ranch moved from District Four into District Three, and and radically transformed the makeup of that. and, And I think the trajectory of the next representatives from that district. So you had Jim Engelbrecht who was the District 3 representative for years. um, And as he was terming off uh, counsel, Kathleen Wozni, from Ropes & Ranch. Mm -hmm. uh, And then uh, as she left uh, to pursue other things, then we have the current representative, Don Duff, from Ropes & Ranch. And it almost became this thing of, unless you're from Ropes & Ranch or you figure out a way to get the Ropes & Ranch votes, there's no way to do that. We can talk about that at some other time and see how that plays out in this election. I'm curious. Don Duff's been in this seat for two years. I'm always curious as to people's kind of understanding of what they're stepping into in terms of legacies. Uh, in a really quick way of answering it, Don Duff, um, effective representative for District 3? Yes, no, and why? We'll start with you, Matt.
1: Um, I, I don't think so. And, you know, that's part of the reason why I, I felt like I should be a part of this race is that there's there's a there's a lot of the district – that is, um, you know, just a completely different kind of person that wasn't being represented and wasn't being, uh, didn't have a voice at the table. You know, like I work paycheck to paycheck. I'm a renter. Um, I'm very involved in, um, you know, the kind of things that happen within the community, um, that are you know more central to that area. And you know, I've lived all around the district. I've lived in the Razor Ranch neighborhoods behind Walmart. I've lived in the dorms and student apartment. You know complexes, and um, you know a few different rental properties around the UNT area. And you know I have, there, you know when I talk to people uh, in the field, when I'm talking to people about the campaign and what they would like to see brought to the table on council, there's a lot of people that I've had. You know, landlord-tenant disputes. There are a lot of people that um, that you know just want to see more uh, more of the budget allocated towards sustainable efforts within the city and just small business owners that want more protections. And I don't know, every, uh, every council meeting that I went to and that I've been to in work session, it, I rarely hear Don Duff speak. And a lot of the time that he does speak, it's, it's uh, something to do with reps and ranch. And I'm not saying, you know, those people don't deserve to be any less represented, you know, I know plenty of people have Robeson Ranch, and I have nothing bad to say about anybody that lives at Robeson Ranch. But you know, it's just—it's—it is a huge district, and it's—it's—you know, there's there's a lot more to the district okay. than just
0: that. Same question to you, Donna. And I'm going to guess Don Duff is not a podcast listener, so <laughs> go nuts.
3: <laughs> no, that's really not a good idea. You know, I have lots of friends at Robeson and I'm involved in lots of committees and. Civic stuff, and they're some of the most giving, yeah. wonderful people. They they really are, and uh, uh, a lot has not been done for them as far as their own homeowners association is concerned. So I think they really were looking to Don to help get some things straightened out <sighs> out there, and that did not happen. So in itself, that was a disappointment to the residents mm-hmm. of Robeson, let alone outside the district. We haven't heard one thing a town hall uh, a peep nothing and
2: you guys let's just be clear none of you live in robeson right no guys in fact all live relatively close to one another of each each other other. right kind of yeah okay
3: right and uh i've tried to talk to mr duff it's impossible you know even when i was just a normal person it was impossible so you know we deserve a lot better the the, the citizens do so there you are
2: jesse
4: I definitely think Don, and I think he'd be the first one to tell you that he he could have done a better job representing the entire district. Um I think his focus, um, he was elected mostly with ropes and ranch folks. I think his focus was the constituents that he related the best with and that he could connect with the best. Um, but I think I even if he was sitting here in the room with us, I think he'd tell you that he could have represented the rest of uh, the rest of the district better. That's the exciting thing, frankly, about this race is, what we're running for is to see who is the person who can best connect these disparate geographies, these people from different backgrounds, whether they're people who have retired from illustrious careers or people who are just starting out. Everybody, uh, you're going to find all sorts of folks in district three, people who have lived in Denton their whole lives. Like I have people who have moved here for school and stayed for a good job. Uh, People are still looking for the good job and, uh, and really the, the person that folks uh, are looking for in this race is who can bring all of that together, who can bring all those different groups to the same table and be effective for all of them.
0: So I'm going to guess everybody here at the table, uh, appreciates downtown. I'm just gonna generally accurate, accurate. We're, we're accurate. downtown right Yeah, yeah now. We're downtown right now. We love it. It's beautiful. Um, let's yeah,
2: redistrict a- three to get the square. <laughs> yeah,
0: there we go. no,
2: um, Interestingly enough, it was redistricted out of District 1 uh-huh. in the initial swoop in redistricting. Mm. And I fought and successfully got most of it back I'm into District
0: there. 1. Well, I'm still in District 2. 2. Uh, That's right.
2: You're one side of it. Because
0: of my address, actually. the odd the, That'll be a
2: second podcast, redistricting. The, yeah,
0: the odd numbers are on Oak Street are actually uh, District 1. The even numbers are uh, District 2. But so we love downtown. Um, but downtowns a very unique spot on the map for Denton. Um, how do we look at downtown and how do we look at how we've designed and grown down here as a way that we can navigate through uh, this zoning ordinance that's in front of us now? Take it away.
4: So the the main thing we're missing downtown from a zoning planning perspective is we have uh, no no actual protection for any of our historic structures. We have, uh, we have a lot of aspirational things. We have a lot of, uh, we've got the historic district that's been created. We've got the, the natural, National Register of Historic Places. But for instance, if I was the person who owned the lot where the mini mall used to be, I could build just about anything I wanted to. I would have to jump some, through some hoops with the Historic Landmark Commission. Um, My but, wife's
0: on there, so be careful.
4: Well, here's the thing <laughs> then you know, and you're familiar with this group. Um, if I've got an existing historic structure, there's all sorts of things I can't do to it. If I don't have an existing structure, I can build what I like. I could build some 60s mod-looking thing. I could build something that, as long as it meets the minimum construction standards, you know, this is our crown jewel. Something that meets the minimum standards is not necessarily what we need.
0: Right, so, but, but, but I'm really trying to pin down... Uh, all that is fantastic for downtown, and sh- surely there are things we can do better down here. But how does... How does what downtown looks like now how does that guide us outside of downtown I guess is kind of where I'm trying to go with it
4: okay I see so you know mirroring the success that we've had downtown and taking that beyond so one of the things we've done really well downtown is we've invested in um, in certain aspects about what we like like we've got a tax reinvestment scheme down here we've got economic development money that is focused on this crown jewel that we have in the center of town Um, If we want to duplicate what we have, the walkability, the diversity in different kinds of businesses that we have, you know, we don't roll up the sidewalks downtown at seven o'clock like we used to. Uh, Things keep going. It's something, if you want to come downtown, you could be here from nine in the morning to nine at night and pass that. And the way that we did that was by promoting small business, by promoting what is unique about downtown. And for this part of town, it's the historic nature. But there are other parts of town that have some draws to them too. Uh, we find what's unique and special about a place, and we amplify it. And I think in a lot of a lot of ways that equates to um, clustering and walkability and um, getting folks to spend kind of more, more time there. And then they spend their money, they vote with their feet, and then it takes off from there.
0: Dan, what's your take on it?
3: Well, I love downtown, but we need to look at the muse area and go beyond where the buildings are that hopefully will come out of floodplain and come up with a really cool master plan for that so that this downtown can be an extension and we can bring in some cool Deep Ellum aspects with the artists and artists in residence. I was part of a program in Deep Ellum a long time ago when I was an art teacher and uh, it really was quite something, you know, Hot glass was one with was all glass blowing. So I think if we, if we look at the historic aspect, which Randy Hunt, by the way, has done an incredible job, I think, with a lot of our historic stuff, but we need to look beyond what's going to happen next with bringing it out of the floodplain, and where's the master plan for that?
1: Ben? Hmm. Yeah. Um, obviously, I... Love downtown as well. I've worked at J&J's for about six years and uh, worked at... Make uh, a great pizza there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That deep dish Chicago style. Oh, yeah. Killer. Actually, Chicago recipes, too. Joe Vapetto was straight up. Uh, He was great. From there. Um, I work at Dan Silverleaf now. Um, Not full-time, but you know, do event promoting over there. And then um, I also... uh, used to work for Studio E, you know, downstairs. Yeah. Um, Oh, cool. Are they still around? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they do. I think they're doing more like uh, I think a lot of the events they're doing are more private and um, a little bit more niche. Um, Not every single day. Uh, But anyway, um, one of the things I I learned about that um, in in helping them um, you know, kind of move that space from being basically a storage unit to a business and Mm -hmm as well as with the J and J's basement over there is there, there are a lot of hoops that these small business owners have had to go through uh, to open these businesses and beca- I think partially because of the historic nature of the of the buildings. And I think that there are, you know, probably some changes that we could implement into the development code that could make it easier for these types of businesses to open up, especially even like when you look at like the Fry Street area, you know, there are several different vacant uh, spots over there that people are wanting to see um, taken, you know, and made into something cool, especially since UNT has kind of um, expanded and created what people are calling the food desert now. Um, So, you know, I think, um, I don't know, yeah, making it it so that, um, you know, when you, when you're trying to get a CEO, there, you, you have to have the buildings inspected and you get three times. And then after the third time, you start getting fined and charged to have the inspectors to come out more. Um, so I think, I don't know, I think that there's a little bit we can clean up there. And um, I think that in terms of businesses that have opened up downtown, they've been getting a lot better about that. But um, yeah, and just moving that mentality to you know outside of the square as well.
0: So we've had our new city manager here for, what has it been, three years now? Is it three years? Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's been three years. Hmm. Um, That's going to be your main contact with the executive branch of government in our city. What's uh, Starting with you, Matt, what's kind of your performance review on how Todd's doing up to this point?
1: Uh, Man, from from what I've seen, I think he's been doing great. Um, And he's... You know, he's had a. I I like I like him because the the um, he's never appeared to be disrespectful towards any of the council people from what I've seen. You know, at work sessions, um, you know, the, it annoys the hell out of me. There are times when. Uh, Anytime a woman in the room speaks, certain people in the room will like roll their eyes, and it's like, are you, are you are you serious right now? Todd, I've never seen do anything like that. He he's a really approachable person, and you know, um, since he's since you know he's been on council, I've had conversations with him, and it's been great. And he's managed to work with council members in keeping the um, the uh, the effective tax rate um, low, um, and uh, but keeping the adopted tax rate lower. And so, I don't know. I I think he's been doing. I think he's been doing a great job. If you're
0: gonna give him a grade, what would it be?
1: (sighs) Man,
0: Um, I don't think Todd's I I, I don't know. A grading scale. Todd's not a podcast listener either, so it's only (laughs) a.
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, this will get back to him, right? Yeah, I think get back gets back to him for sure. I'll give him an A. Um, I don't know. I mean. Good. If you're that elected, you'll change. get whatever you, you want. Know, yeah. right, well, we'll but that's you know I I have yet to hear or see anything that has really put me off. You know. Right. With him,
0: So, Dan, what, uh, what's your take?
3: What I really like about Todd is that he asks questions. He's very analytical. I mean, he takes everybody's questions, puts them in a box, shakes it up, comes out with a sentence. What I really like is that he calls in consultants. So when he doesn't know the answer or he sees that somebody just said, ooh, that's interesting, why don't we go look at that, he will bring in consultants. I'm okay with that because Denton has stayed in a box or a bubble for a very long time. And we need to look out of that and see what Oklahoma City's doing, see what St. Paul's doing, see what Atlanta's doing. So many aspects of what city government is and recycling the whole nine yards. Todd does that. So... I give him a B-plus because he hasn't really interacted with me yet. So <laughs> Wait, I'll you give
2: him a B-plus. Sh- I see th- what it takes to be a teacher's pet. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
3: Yes.
0: So you said what you like about him. Do you have any uh, criticism?
2: He hasn't interacted Just- with her yet.
1: Okay.
3: He's, he's, he's a very quiet guy, uh, and he has not interacted with me yet. I, I did a whole lot of my gives and takes back in December when I was thinking about running and got to meet. I have to say this. I think the staff is superb boy, you ask them a question and they go find that answer. And they do such hard work. And I actually feel for them because sometimes they get asked a lot of questions and have to go scurry and find a lot of answers. But they are so good at doing that. And their presentations are right on. So, I mean, that's, that all reflects back on Todd. So there you are.
0: Jesse, how about you?
4: Yeah. So, uh, I have a lot of good to say about Todd. I think he's, he's done well in a, managing an interesting time in Denton's history. There's a lot that he had to do right out of the gate. He had to uh, answer to a lot of people, you know, not just the, the council, but the council answers to their constituents. And, you know, it's it, I'm sure a week doesn't go by that he hears something from a council member that originated with a constituent, a very vocal constituent. And he rolls really well with those things. I also think he's done a good job um, keeping our budget tight, and that's important. Um, you know, I, I've heard, though, that he... Um, two things that I kind of take a little bit of issue with, and it takes a little bit of digging to get to this, but Todd is really good at keeping his staff on message. So one thing I'd like to hear more from, from the staff is a diversity of opinion, because I know there's a diversity of opinion out there, but by the time something gets to the council binder or gets to the council's ears, it's gone through Todd and his, his upper management. Um, and, you know, that, that's all well and good, but I think the council – sets the message i don't think the the city manager gets to set the agenda for the city he's an excellent manager from everything i can see i would like to see him manage the message and the agenda of the city a little bit less and i'd like to see the council step in and take a little bit more leadership of the vision and the messaging for the city and that means being able to listen to our staff um, even when there's a diversity of opinion on the staff the other thing uh, diana mentioned consultants consultants are a double-edged sword. Consultants cost a whole, whole lot of money. And sometimes what happens, uh, we've seen this with a couple of our committees uh, lately that have had consultants hired to help them out. You bring someone in from Dallas, oftentimes they have a connection to the city manager. Uh, They've worked together before or somebody in the upper staff. And that person comes in and they charge the city for doing so many things that the city could have done themselves. So much as preliminary research work, you know, the city can Google statutes in other places and compare uh, ordinances in different places. We've all been to some of those community meetings where, you know, you walk around the room and you put your dot on the plan you like the best. City staff can do a lot of that stuff without having the consultant. I think we need to save our money for consultants who can do work that we're not at all equipped to do, not just liaising with the community. We don't need to pay a Dallas consultant $600,000 to come up here and tell us what should be in the Oak Gateway plan when we can do half of that work or more ourselves Mm -hmm. talking about it as citizens before we ever get, you know, the consultant folks involved. So I'd like to see Todd use consultants a little bit less for some of those things. Uh, so for those reasons, I give them an A minus.
2: You know, somebody should run on a platform of like banning and denting those little dots. I don't know how many meetings I've been to where it's like, yeah, the Hey, we're not really interested in your opinion on this thing. We just want to see where you're putting your dot on this board somewhere around this room. Anyways, that's enough. I'm going it's a placebo. Thing. I'm going to ask a question. <laughs> I, you see it in the business world too. It's the same way of kind of get feeling like you're heard. Uh, I, I want to ask a question about uh, the ethics <gasps> Uh, situation And and, and I'm going to preface this by saying I know there's some controversy Even among you guys We've seen it in the paper We've seen it um, uh, We've seen it at forums And there's been a lot of space to kind of Dust up on your particular issues With one another as it relates to this I don't want to delve back into that So that's not my goal with this question uh, So let's try and st- I'm actually saying let's stay away from that those issues We've had plenty of space to do that what I want to look at, and this isn't a, i want to ask a different approach to this question. And it comes from—I'll just be transparent. When I was on council, I was actually actively discouraging us from heading in this direction because I, I really saw, as they were looking at the San Antonio ordinance and all these other things, as you Google San Antonio Ethics Committee, you see it being used as a political hit job every time there's an election. There's a lot of just red flags into how these things get utilized. Uh, You see a couple of big cases in in Dallas with the mayor pro tem recently. Uh, He's heading for some jail time, seemingly. Uh, You see the former mayor of Richardson, who's seemingly heading for some jail time. All of those seemingly pass through their ethics committees. But yet the real professionals, as it relates to who understands violations of law and corruption and stuff like that, were able to kind of get these folks And Anyways, so we have spent an entire couple of years, a lot of energy, a lot of time, uh, probably a lot of city resources thinking through ethics ordinance in the city of Denton. Uh, It's definitely taken a lot of uh, uh, time even in this election cycle. Uh, It's in the paper uh, twice a week almost as it relates to this. We've seen a lot of cases being come before um, uh, the ethics committee. Uh, My question is, what's the return on the investment for the city? In terms of what have we what have we gotten with all of this? Are we more ethical? Uh, have we rooted out corruption in the city through this? Um, and And now the conversation is either let's have a petition together and actually hand to the citizens an actual document that says this should be our ordinance or is the council going to get involved and spend another six months debating this topic. What have we gotten as a result of all this time spending on an ethics ordinance? And where should how much more time should we devote the city's energy? Because it's obviously caused a lot of controversy um, in talking about this. And what are we going to get in return for that uh, as citizens? So who wants to jump in on that question first? What's our return on investment for how much time and energy we've spent on talking about ethics ordinance committees and the like?
3: So here's the deal. This thing. I'm too short. So this is like a days-long question. Every major city in the United States, including the U.S. Senate, has an ethics committee. Why don't we? We're one of the fastest-growing 27th... 25th, 27th fastest growing city in the state of Texas, 136 thousand people destined to be about 180,000 in the next what five to ten years at the least. So we need to find a way to keep you know grafting corruption out of our city council if you want to call it that. So I don't I don't think that people on city council need to have business before council for instance. Well, that's that's a big deal. President of the United States has to sign a, a document that you know, puts his trust in someone else's hands while he's in office.
2: How's that worked out?
3: Not well. That's because he doesn't follow the rules sometimes, right?
2: That's an aside. We can continue That is on. A, and you will cut that out.
3: Wow. Yeah, okay. cuz don't go there, right? Cuz cuz yeah, I respect the office, all right. The thing is, I have a lot of experience with ethics both in the legal world and in the veterinary world. But I'm a big proponent of community-based ethics. So we would pick people from our community and they would be approved by city council, but they are not assigned by city council. You see, I think there's the rub because I think everybody had good intentions of, of picking people that they thought would be Excellent, good hearts, good minds, right? Yeah, and it has not worked out well. As the people that, that we would want to be on our ethics panels cannot be because they're attached to that city council person.
2: So are you saying, I guess my question was, what's been our return on investment?
3: A lot of pain because we've, we've seen a lot of civil rights infractions, you know, too. You know, stopping city council people from voting on very, very important issues when there was no conflict of interest. Nor was there an appearance of impropriety, Uh, so it's it's really bad because no matter, let me finish that. No matter who it is, it casts a shadow, doesn't it? Because all of a sudden they went against what the ethics commission or the ethics committee. Know, what their opinion was.
2: So I guess my question is, have we rooted out corruption? Have we have we made people more ethical? I mean, it, it, you want to continue on for another X no. amount of time trying to make it right, it sounds no. like?
3: No, because I was the one who said, you know, it, it, that throw that baby out. We should have never... If anybody... And, Anybody in the legal world knows, you, you don't just pick up the ball and run with it. There's a wheel that's been invented. Go look at that wheel. We had no business creating our own ordinance. Not when you have Chicago and San Francisco, and New York and Atlanta and uh, Tallahassee, one of the best ordinances in the country, but San Antonio is known as the gold standard because it's Texas.
2: Google. I would just encourage you all to Google I have. I've talked the application to the, of the San Antonio. Ordinance. have. Okay, I well.
3: have. But, but I did that before I was even running. The point being is there's, there's this wonderful organization, cityethics.org. That's been their life's work. Sure. Yeah. So we, I feel like we should have an ethics commission or a committee. Uh, has it worked well right now? No, because it was not well written. And the people who wrote it did not know that down the line this was going to happen. They couldn't have thought.
4: I I I disagree with that last part. The people who wrote it, the council members and the citizens involved, knew exactly what was coming down the road, that at some point the code would be used uh, for political purposes. Uh, So most listeners are going to know already I chair the Board of Ethics. Um, The Board of Ethics not only hears cases, but also spends a lot of time talking about how we implement this code and how we can improve it. Y'all know that we sent a letter to city council with six points saying, here's how you can improve this code and not throw the whole thing out, not have to start over. Um, because the current proposal right now is not to, uh, the, the referendum proposal that's been brought forth is not to let's have another conversation about ethics. It is two people. There are four people gathering signatures, but really two people who have written an ordinance on their own. They've tweaked the San Antonio ordinance And they're proposing by referendum with no public input, no input from the city attorney, no input from the outside counsel that we've used before for ethics issues. They've drafted an ordinance, and they now want to, by referendum, have that adopted. I think a lot of people signing that petition don't realize that the petition is not to vote on talking about it more. The petition is to vote on that ordinance out as it's written. The other thing I found out as chair of that committee, San Antonio is not the gold standard. San Antonio is a standard. It exists. It's a way you can do it. But what San Antonio has is a board of inquisition. It's run by a, a, a quote-unquote disinterested group of people. Uh, but they are also appointed by city council. And they are judge, jury, and prosecutor, all in one. Um, they, uh, it's a group of people who answer to essentially no one. And they uh, can do whatever they like, and they can take whatever, you know, take whatever evidence they want to, and make whatever they want to out of it. They are not answering directly to elected officials, and that's a big problem when you think about uh, our DAs, the guy I work for, directly elected by the people. When you look at our judges, they are directly elected by the people. They are accountable for everything that they do, um, just like the city council can remove people from our current board of ethics if they want to. So when you ask about return on investment on our current code, uh, our return on investment has been very poor. Our very first complaint was a set of three complaints that were a uh, political hit jobs against people that the complainant disagreed with on one particular project, one particular development project. Uh, they were poorly drafted. They didn't cite uh, you know an actual violation of the code. They just want it. And the first call that complainant made was to the newspaper. I have just filed these documents. Under the city code, they're actually confidential documents, but here is a copy of them because I would like the newspaper to know all about them. The very first thing the ethics committee had to deal with was a political hit job as a complaint. And I think the people who drafted this code hoped and prayed that it would be used for good purposes, and they did it with the best of intentions but they also knew that it had a lot of potential for misuse. So I think our return on investment has been, um, has been very poor. As for this idea that we could have um, people from the community nominated to the board and then the council would, would then you know, appoint them or, uh, or confirm them, there have been a few ideas about how to do that. You know, maybe your chamber of commerce wants to nominate people to the board maybe your bar association wants to nominate, maybe your Kiwanis club, or if you ask anyone in those organizations, they want nothing to do with this. The bar association does not want to appoint anybody. Ask any one of their officers. The chamber of commerce does not want to have anything to do with the city ethics ordinance. It's not what they do. Uh, and those people, as they know, would not have any accountability to the voters and to the constituents. So if we want to better our return on investment, um, you know, we're not going to be able to stop people from filing frivolous complaints like we've had already. Um, we're not going to be able to change human nature. If we want to fix this ordinance, then we need to look at the things that this committee, the Ethics Board, has already identified these uh, six areas that we can improve, and the city council needs to focus on those. Don't, don't reinvent the wheel. Don't start all the way over, um, but focus on those six things we've already put forward to city council.
1: Yeah, Matt. Yeah. I I do think it's it's pretty much uh almost universally seen as being a poor uh, return on investment as it stands. I think at the very least it's uh I mean it it's still good that we have it in in a way, you know, like people I remember when it was being voted on in that in that charter um, whether or not to adopt an ethics ordinance, and at the time, everybody that you know I would talk to about it seemed excited that this was you know even an idea, is because you know everybody wants to be sure that people are being held to a high standard and that you know we you know are keeping our elected officials in check and making sure that there are no ethical uh, uh, controversies at even at the city level because it, it has happened and it can happen. I think though, yeah, I mean they're definitely. Plenty of things that we need to change, uh, especially in like has been brought up already. Uh, defining you know more carefully what a conflict of interest is, and uh, I, I don't think that there's going to be necessarily a perfect example from you know somewhere else that we can point to. But I, I think that is important, and I do think it is important uh, that you know the whoever is appointed to this committee is being com- uh, appointed in a way that is um, at least biased as possible because, you know, a lot of what has happened is, you know, people that felt the need to recuse themselves or people that have felt, you know, um, uh, attached, you know, even, even in the committee in and of itself uh, because of their appointment from, you know, a particular council member. So, yeah, I, I definitely think it needs, it needs some work. And I, I don't think at this point, anybody is really against that. Um so,
0: okay. So the last question was uh, kind of uh, surrounding what's the return on investment, mm-hmm. and we as a city are trying to build out roads infrastructure um, as we grow. Growth is a major challenge. It's probably been uh, listed on the top five of uh, the greatest challenges facing our city today. Um, what I really want to know is like, how does What you know about our past economic development incentives inform you on what our future economic incentives should be. And uh, Diana, I think we haven't started with you yet, so let's uh, start with you. And really, it's just a basic question on what's your philosophy of where we need to be headed as far as economic development? What do we do?
3: Mm, That encompasses an awful lot. One, we need to finish the projects we've already got going. Right, and there's a bond package that's going to be proposed. It's like 190 million. Uh, It'll go out over what 2024, I think. And if we cap it at 100 million, we won't have a tax increase. But if we if we go the whole 190, then we're going to have a six percent tax increase. So uh, we're anticipating a huge amount of growth, and I don't think Denton's ready for it. We're already five years behind. Our business development as it is. And Carolyn, oh, I'm going to miss terribly. Uh, I think she had a wonderful handle on moving Denton forward. My son works for Google and we've had many conversations about Denton. Uh, got his masters from Texas Tech, worked for Apple for my gosh, how many years? 24 patents shared with Apple.
2: Tech, his heart must be broken.
3: It is right now. Proud but
2: broken.
3: Yes, yes. Hey, at least they made it in, right? Yes. But if that's a MacBook Air, then that's his baby from head to toe. So he's now Mr. Tech at Google, and uh, uh, he he's not the only one who has said this. For our economic development to, to really hit and go, we have got to pass an anti-discrimination ordinance, and we have also got to have an educated Community as or workforce as far as tech is concerned, Ross Perot a long time ago um, was thinking about buying TWU and making it into a tech college. So uh, we've got UNT, which is an amazing university, and I'll bet they listen to this. You know, if Dallas is doing that, look what happened with Amazon. They're going to do. They're going to do a, a tech university now, and and that's because they've listened. Denton keeps losing what it should have to other cities, because it's not quite ready yet. Our airport, I'm a big airport person, love airports. Uh, I've already talked to quite a few people out there. My gosh, the kind of business that we could bring in if we would invest in our airport, right, and bring that up to speed. We already land 737s, so we could bring a lot more in. Our industry that's to the west of us is outstanding, but we're now out of space. So we need to provide more space for our industrial commercial you know, out there too. By bringing in that, we can triple the revenue for the city easily. Uh, there's so much we can do for small business. One of the, the things I've talked to, well, we all have friends who are small business owners and they struggle, right, with the, their property taxes and then the personal tax that goes along with it, One of the ideas that we came up with, several business owners and I talking, was why don't we give them a break? Why don't we have them renovate their buildings, uh, or the landlords, I should say, renovate their buildings, and those receipts can be taken off their appraisal. So they get a bit of a break, allows them to renovate, bring things up to speed. That will bring in more business and give them a bit of time to, to pay that pay that off and then jump back in with the appraisal. So there's so much potential here and I would love to see our students stay here. I would love to see tech, biotech, you know, aerospace brought in. There's no reason why we can't. North of us and where, you know, the gas wells kind of are, why don't we put in commercial industrial?
0: How do we keep our students here? Oh, That's a really good.
3: You know, well, idea, you know what immediately comes to mind and this is just me being a mom up here too. There's no affordable housing. And, and you know, uh, don't get me started on SROs. I am not a fan at all. I think they're very dehumanizing, and uh, it's, it's like living in a, a cattle thing. These aren't dorms I'm talking about. These are the, the SROs. That's a whole nother subject. Uh, we don't have any way for them to stay and live here and, and grow their families and their careers. So if we bring in some of the, some of the businesses that they graduate in, Uh, Tech has. In fact, when when Will was a student there, the company that he interned with actually opened uh, opened an office there so that he could continue his research. So if we were to reach out to other companies and have them even open satellite businesses here so that the students could continue their research, I think that would be a great idea, and I don't think anyone's ever looked at that one. So, you know, I think out-of-the-box thinking, and I think it can be easily done in a very short amount of time.
0: Matt, what's your take? Can you repeat the question? <laughs>
1: there, yes. There's a lot there. Much. It's I'm okay. Sorry. No, you're fine. You're <laughs> no,
0: Anna asked a follow up, which probably... I'm sure. Um, so the question was just what's, what's your basic philosophy of economic development, mm. looking at what we've done and where we need to be going?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, we were saying earlier, take a shot every time somebody says tax incentives. (laughs) Um, I do think, uh, you know, I, I, I have yet to see, um, a, a big, you know, uh, positive effect from, you know, how, how many tax incentives we've been giving to bigger, you know, of the industrial and corporate businesses. Um, and, you know, I've been trying to wrap my head around it a little bit better. I've been trying to do more research, um, I didn't realize Texas is uh, out of every state in the nation gives the most tax incentives to these big businesses. Um, And you know, the the thing is, is these is kind of going off of what you guys were saying again before. I think uh, these types of jobs that they're bringing in, and the um, the you know, with the wages that they're paying, and just the the the. General, you know, type of work that it is—it is not playing to uh, the people that are graduating from the you know UNTTW and NCTC, and I think that, to your other question, is definitely the biggest reason why people are not staying in Denton. You know, every person that I know that has regretfully had to leave Denton is is because they can't find a, a job that applies to their field here, and you know what's crazy to me is I see so many different um, opportunities even at the city level that um, you know, require not even a degree. Um, a lot of the time like a, it's a GED or high school diploma, but you have to have so many years of experience and so a lot of the people that are coming out of the universities aren't able to get these jobs even just with the city. And it covers a wide variety of you know, different you know, uh, fields. And, um, I think that there's a lot of potential there that the city could actually work directly with the universities and getting people, um, from the university to, to work for the city. I mean, you know, you got, you got to trust in these institutions, you know, that's they, and we are putting out, you know, so many educated people that could be a part of that workforce. I think as well, um, you know, I've talked to a lot of small business owners in the area too that, um, are terrified every time that they have to, uh, sign a lease again. Um, because there, you know, there aren't a lot of protections on if, you know, if they don't own the property on what the landlord can, can do. I know there have been people in this town who have had their rents raised, um, with no, you know, uh, measurable reasoning. And, um, there have been instances where there are repairs that need to be made to a building, and oftentimes a historical building, that's really expensive repairs, and they put that uh, cost onto the small business owner, and uh, I, I don't think that's right. And so I think it's you know a matter of protecting our small businesses and making our city more friendly towards you know opening these types of businesses, so people you know that you know want to do that here can can do so easy, um, more effectively. And also um, you know, just trying to, to bring in the types of jobs that people actually are going to want from the, the, the degrees that they're getting here at the two huge universities.
0: Jesse, what's your take? <sighs> economic development, good or bad?
1: Man, we've covered a lot of ground <laughs> uh, in
4: yeah. these responses. I want to go back to the original question first. Um, the thing that we could have done better in the past with economic development, and it's it's not really anybody's fault, it's just the model that we built here, is we have depended almost entirely on tax incentives. That when we want to attract a business here, there, there's kind of this fallacy out there that if you just have a nice place to live, people are gonna build a business there. Um, if, you, uh, are you, if you're a cool place to live like Denton is, that business is gonna show up at your doorstep and want to build you know, a place that employs hundreds of people. That's not how it works. We have hundreds of other communities across the, the country and across Texas. Uh, you know, the Texas economy is booming. There are great places to build a business across the state, and we're competing with every single one of those places. anytime we're talking to, whether it's a distribution plant or whether it's a corporate headquarters, on citing our people here. Um, so we've depended a lot on tax incentives and on good electricity rates. That's about what Denton has to offer when we're building, when we're bringing in a serious business, when we're making a, a serious play for something like a corporate headquarters. That's the reason why we've had uh, that, and our, our focus has been on these distribution centers and plants and that kind of thing. Um, we've really focused on that, and those are the kind of businesses that respond to those kind of incentives. When all you have is a hammer, every problem is a nail. So we haven't been able to get creative about bringing the kind of businesses that actually produce, you know, white collar benefits pay, paying jobs. Um, you know, there's a comment made earlier about the education of our workforce. There are, it's gotta be 10 times as many business majors as uh, computer science majors coming out of UNT and TWU. These are folks who can go right into a job at a corporate headquarters, uh, entry-level stuff right away if those jobs were in Denton. They're moving away because the jobs aren't here. You know, the, the housing piece definitely plays a part, but folks leave Denton because there's not a job. There's a job for them in Addison, there's a job for them in Richardson, there's a job for them in Frisco. But those jobs are not staying in Denton unless they want to work in the service sectors or some very niche things that are kind of around town. Um, Because I agree with Matt. A lot of those folks graduating from college are not going to go work at a Tyson plant or at Peterbilt or one of these other places. So what we have to do, if we want those kind of jobs in Denton, those good paying benefits jobs, we have to diversify the, the kind of businesses we go after to incent to come here. And we have to diversify the kind of incentives we have. One thing I've talked about a lot in this campaign has been um, an economic development fund. So we talked earlier about some of the success we've had downtown because we had a pool of money from the city perspective that we could invest in certain ways, that we could target in certain ways. We don't have the same thing when we're talking about bringing a business in. We don't have the same thing. If we care about, you know, I mentioned the, uh, the gaping hole on downtown. If we care about what goes there, We don't have a fund right now set up to help incentivize the kind of thing we want to be on our square. So we should establish an economic development fund (coughs) that can be used with some of those creative incentives uh, to get, say, a corporate headquarters. A perfect fit for our workforce, a perfect fit for our land use. Um, We have lots of frontage still along uh, 35W that would be perfect not for, you know, a corrugated metal warehouse distribution kind of place that we have set further back for a big, nice corporate headquarters. The other thing with corporate headquarters is they're very low impact on our services. You know, they have lights and water just like everybody else, but there are many fewer uh, calls for EMTs, calls for police, calls for any kind of city service. Once they're built, they're going. They're little economic engines and job creators. So I think The change I would make from our current focus on economic development is not just going after these kind of niche things like distribution plants, but going after the kind of places that they might be looking at a Frisco or they might be looking at an Addison, they might be looking at a Richardson, but our workforce, our our student pipeline, and the folks who are already here are much better suited than any of those other places.
2: A lot of topics covered tonight. We can go on and, and and delve into these in deeper ways. I've got one last question that um, I'm curious about. Um, Denton has done some big things for our size of city. Uh, there's an ambition to the city. Uh, my wife uh, likes to use this a lot because her dad used to say to her a lot. She's she's all of about five foot two, and her dad used to always say it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. And Denton has outpunched its weight class several times. I think about um, uh, Mr. Appleton, who just passed away, um, and the legacy he left on. You know, he and uh, some others were responsible for the fact that every time you hear on NPR KERA and they say, not only Dallas and Fort Worth, but who else is included in that? Denton. That was part of a vision of theirs to include us as part of this kind of. Life. I mean, a lot of real interesting things. You think about the fact that we built uh, a commuter rail that there's rarely a city our size that has accomplished that in less than ten years, um, just through some ambitious thinking uh, in terms of what we've accomplished downtown. These two major universities. There's a lot of ambition in Denton. Uh, Oftentimes. Uh, City politics gets us kind of focused on the controversy de jour, right? And we're all kind of talking about whatever uh, the uh, Facebook or Twitter tells us should be the most important thing to be thinking about. But hopefully um, we can be fostering up a new set of leaders who are thinking about the next big thing um, for the city of Denton. So I'm always curious when I talk to folks who are throwing their hat in the ring uh, as to what is that for them? What's that ambitious thing for Denton? Uh, that you think we should be focusing on uh, not only in the short term but obviously for the long term um, that you would love to bring to the table should you uh, have the honor of being able to sit on that dais uh, here uh, come June 2019 who wants to take that what's your big idea
1: for Denton Um, for me and and this this is I guess really this is Matt Farmer this is me Matt Farmer NPR. Uh, um, for me it's uh, it's I guess not one individual uh, specific thing but you know and, and I think what's really interesting is when you talk to people about um, city council or what you what they want to see um, as far as the direction our city moves in sustainability and environmental stewardship always comes up. Every single person that I've talked to, um, regardless of political party, regardless of you know how long they've been in Denton, and I think that there's a certain ethos uh, that our city has cultivated. Um, especially, you know, in the time that I've been here, I've seen it, um, and I know that it's it's been a thing for a long time. Uh, so I think, you know, as far as you know, we're 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 starting that path. You know, we've we've we had Frack Free. We've now. Um, jumped onto a plan to become hundred percent renewable by uh, 2020 I think there's definitely more that we can do in this regard though and I think that uh, you know we can really be um, leaders in this in this way so whether that means um, you know creating business incentives uh, for for companies that adhere to better environmental policy in, in their buildings and in their um, um You know, on on site, and also um, uh, composting programs. You know, there have been cities that have started it um, in the North Texas area that haven't really fully committed to anything. And uh, you know, just making it so that our city has ways to cut back on our uh, vehicular uh, greenhouse gas emissions. You know, we've started with bike lanes, maybe moving on to protected bike lanes and, and more routes throughout the city. Um, eventually investing in green elect, um, uh, you know, electric public transportation. I think these are all things that we could really actually do, and uh, these are things that people want to see us do, and that is something that I would love to see the city of Denton really so actually champion. So it
2: sounds like you're saying there's this global conversation about climate change and sustainability, mm-hmm. and Denton can take a lead on how that happens exactly, at a city level. Exactly, Okay, yeah. awesome. Anyone else? Okay.
4: So... Um, I've got this crazy idea that has been kind of percolating as I talk to people. Here's the really cool thing about it: is it didn't start as my idea. It started as an idea that um, a lot of different people had little pieces of, and as it comes together, the more crazy it sounds to me, the more doable it sounds to me. So I like it. So here we I'm go. Intrigued. I hope I hope you're, you're it's pumped up. Be good. So <laughs> as Denton grew and expanded we started to encompass more and more of our, uh, I'll call them riparian areas. They're creeks. And we started paving them over, right? And this has been a big conversation in environmental circles for a long time. Uh, The big joke, we were all at an environmental uh, forum the other day and all talked about, you know, catching crawdads and that kind of thing you do as a kid in the creek. And a lot of kids in Denton don't get to do that stuff because the creeks are all completely paved over. Here's the other thing we're talking about when we talk about sustainability in Denton. A walkability bike ability overall mobility and not idling at stop uh, stop lights and that kind of thing so um, something i think could have an enormous impact in denton and i know todd the city manager would tell me it has an enormous price tag also i don't think it'd be as expensive as he might think my proposal is to rip up every single bit of those concrete culverts that we call creeks uh, they are usually wide enough if engineered properly to put a bike lane or, so there we go with protected bike lanes to put a walking path and those creeks, uh, as long as you can navigate the grade crossings or you, you can build a, a tunnel under the, the, the car bridge or the, the road, you can take those creeks from just like I did as a kid, walking down through the creek beds from North Lakes Park all the way to the Katy Trail. You can take those creeks all the way through Southeast Denton and connect Southeast Denton right up with downtown. Um, and, you know. Uh, those are those become corridors for people. Those become wildlife corridors. They become, a, a, you know, beautiful green space in our city. Um, and I tell you, I think you'd see people just like you see people on the Katy Trail. That is like largely paved in some places. Um, it's not, you know, the most beautiful green space kind of trail you could use. But you see people using it all year long, even when it's burning hot. I think you'd see people on these riparian trails. All the time i think kids would take them to school i think people would bike them to work um it'd be something no other city has so am i riding in the creek bed
2: or up on top of the creek bed you're where you're is my uh, where uh, is my mode of transport on the side of
0: the creek yeah, yeah. on the so side your of the tree
4: tra- is a is a paved and improved trail uh that is uh, above the creek bed gotcha. but in that i'll call it the creek right of way the area gotcha. that we've not improved because of the creek so you're gonna have to have some like some retaining walls in a couple places but uh, y'all remember when uh, the creek behind the Unitarian Church was yeah, paved? Yeah. I mean, that was just a travesty. It's ugly. It doesn't look good. I mean, that's like 1960s thinking, right? That's just sprawl happening in front of us. That could be torn out and turned into a navigable connection, uh, which is what it was before we started paving over it.
2: You know, it's funny you say that just before we get to Diana. My We were at the community market today <coughs> with my kids, and where are they all playing There's water in the creek around there because of the recent rains. They're all playing around there. The kids, you know, whatever. My daughter, my five-year-old, drops her little toy pet kitty cat in there. And it starts floating down the river. And I'll be darned if there weren't 20 kids around trying to solve this problem, getting in that thing. But it's a sense of adventure uh, for kids playing in those creeks. You talk to former councilman, uh, Mayor Pro Tem, Dalton Gregory, who will tell you back when he was growing up in Denton, the adventures they'd have around the creeks, and and very much unimproved at that point. Uh Um, So, interesting. Okay, very good. Two great (laughs) thoughts, Diana? Hmm. Big idea for Denton.
3: Yeah, whose idea was the crawdad thing? Jesse? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Miss Environmental here uh so denton is known for its uniqueness and it's a small town in a big city and everybody really wants to keep it that way so out of out of all of the ideas and potentials and possibilities i think we need to totally go there and keep this the most unique place it can possibly be that's what draws people here it's why i moved here and didn't move back to Louisville or Copper Canyon, you know. It just—it is so wonderful up here. The diversity of people, the the different types of businesses. You know, it's it's just such a cool place. It has such a cool energy, and the thing is, environmentally, we don't get a very good grade. But we have an entire. I don't know what we've got. I'm good friends with Dr. Johnson, everybody at the environmental department at UNT, the, the people that, Dr. Steigman that runs LEELA, Lake Louisville Environmental Learning Area. There is so much we can do here as far as research with grants. So, you know, uh, I, I don't want to digress and go off into another little tangent. What I want to bring to Denton is the retention of the uniqueness it has and build on that so that it makes it an even better place for people to want to come and live and and learn. Awesome.
2: Well, this has been a good hour and 10, 12 minutes or something like that.
0: Yeah, we clocked it in, didn't we? So, good conversation.
2: You know, I just wanna say it's, uh, you guys have each thrown your hat in the ring and not a lot of people do this and it's for a good reason uh, that they do. You're throwing yourself out there for public dissection uh, of the community. And uh, I just wanna say, on behalf of Glenn and myself and this podcast, we really appreciate you guys doing that. And it makes for a better community when more people get involved this way. So thank you not only for coming here, uh, but for for your desire to serve our community. And no doubt one of you will win, but the others will continue to serve our community, uh, which is the beautiful thing about this whole process. You guys probably know more than I have on the top of my head or Glenn has on the top of his head. Tell the viewers, tell the listeners, uh, Early voting, uh, election day, what are those things that everyone should know as they're thinking about getting April out there? April 22nd. Early voting starts. Starts yeah. April 22nd. Where can you vote this Not year? On the 28th, I know we've had some additions. And then
1: again on the 29th and 30th. Right, yeah. because of Civic So your, your civic early Center? voting
4: is going to be Civic Center, except on the Saturday of Arts and Jazz. That and makes it closes sense. at 4 the Friday of Arts and Jazz. Uh, you can vote uh, all during early voting, also at the Election Center. At UNT and at Robeson
2: Ranch. The Election Center off Loop 288.
4: Right. The elections Administration Building on mm, Kimberly right. is what it is. And it's
2: like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. most days, correct?
4: Yes. A number of the days. The first yeah. the first week is uh, is 7 to 5. Okay. Um, closes down at 5. And then the, the last two days are the Monday and Tuesday, um, the 29th and 30th. And those, uh, those you can go 7 to 7 at any of those locations. Then day of, uh, you've got for District 3, you've got North Lakes, You've got UNT, you've got Robeson Ranch, and you've got fire station number four. Um, and then number there's seven? also... Seven. What's that? Seven. seven. Yeah. excuse me. I was thinking right. four places. Right, right. Fire yeah. station yeah. number seven. Don't go to station four. They'll just send you seven, and by that time, you'll be too annoyed to vote. <laughs> so far away. Um, and then yeah, also, I'm going to have to check the dates on this. Uh, there's also some voting availability, I think, during early voting at Argyle Town Hall and a couple other places because some of the district actually incorporates a lot of people who think they live in Argyle.
2: In fact, early voting, if you're a resident of Denton, you can actually vote anywhere in the county Uh, for early voting. So I would encourage folks, I know that for first-time voters in a city election which there's a lot more people who vote in midterms and and, and definitely in election years for president that vote in city Like elect- If you're a first-time voter and you have these kind of nightmares of early voting during the last midterm election and you were standing in line, that doesn't take place in city no, elections. Not at all. And so yeah. you can show up and you'll have three people in front of you. You can breeze in there. Uh, take advantage of that because in a city-specific election, when it's district-specific Election day voting gets a little bit more complicated in terms of where you have to show up based on your precinct. So my recommendation to everyone is always take advantage of one just of these early, early votes. Made, yeah. You can go Very to many nice different time. places, and it doesn't matter where you're doing And
0: you can vote three or four times, really. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Not
1: true, actually. As, a, okay. as an attorney,
4: I can tell you that is nonsense and poppycock. Okay. So, someone that. told me that
0: one. So. Mm-hmm. You, know, but,
4: you can also vote by mail if you're uh, over 65 or if you're going to be out of town. You can absentee ballot.
0: So you're saying there's no reason not to vote? Hundred yep. percent. No Get reason not to vote. So.
1: You can do it today.
0: Well, thanks guys for for being here. We really do appreciate it.
1: <laughs> Thank you guys for having us. Seriously. Yeah. It was awesome. Thanks.